We're bringing you this podcast in partnership with our friends at Virgin Money, the home of brighter business banking. Friday the 13th of March will forever be the worst day of my life. Donald Trump, President Trump, um, basically started closing the US borders and every single country pretty much in the world followed suit. Now, for us, you know, we always played it safe by having as many different countries around the world to mitigate any kind of macro problems. But with COVID, we never ever predicted that we would have to close down every single country that we sell full stop. So it's just about the worst thing that you could be in within the travel industry. Welcome to The Jump, the Virgin Startup podcast, bringing you the unheard stories of the founders behind some of our favorite startups. I'm Ben Keen, and on the podcast today, how two strangers came up with a business idea on their very first date, grew it into a multi-million pound travel company, watched it go up in flames when COVID hit, and then bounced back. Picture the scene. You finally find the romantic partner of your dreams, only to realize they're going to be your business partner too, and you start your dream venture together. The company organizes incredible boutique tours all over the world for travelers in their 30s and 40s, from hiking in the Amazon to private islands in the Arctic to glamping in the Serengeti. It's a gaping hole in the market, and thanks to a viral marketing campaign, the business soars overnight, sending thousands of people on exclusive trips around the world. And then, of course, the dream comes crashing to a halt with the onset of a global pandemic. Flights are grounded, borders closed, travel stopped overnight. Six months later, that booming business, your life's dream, is in administration through no fault of your own. Well, this is exactly what happened to Lee Thompson and Rada Vias, co-founders of Flashpack. At the beginning of 2020, their business was valued at over 50 million pounds. By the year's end, they were broke and with a young child at home. Nobody had seen anything like it and we had no funders to turn to and we had had no reserves. It was very, very intense with a toddler at home. (laughs) I don't even know how we did it. So how do you come back from that? Well, incredibly, they have. And they're relaunching their business right now. And today they're here to tell their story. I think like getting our business back, because we could have lost it, feels like an absolute gift and I'm like just loving the journey already. Like I'm loving like being a leader in this business because we love it. Well, it's, it's such an intense, dramatic story when you read it in a paragraph, but um, it, I'm sure it also feels like that too. Um, so let's go back to that first date that led to this amazing journey for both of you in, in work and life. How soon into the conversation on that date did the idea of what became the flash pack surface? Well, the honest answer is not too long. Um, we spent the whole night um, getting on incredibly well, talking about travel, wine. Um, turns out we're you know passionate about lots of different things together, um, but travel was the main focus. And Rada quickly mentioned that she had an idea for a travel company. Um, and I probed and probed, got a couple of more glasses of wine in and and quickly not that quickly, but Rada told me this incredible story um, about a, a new business venture she had. And where did that idea come from, Rada? And at what moment, you, why did you decide to share it with Lee at that particular meal? I had spent a number of years looking for my big business idea, um, trying various different things. And I came across this idea because 
I was at a point in my life when I just really wanted to go on holiday. You know, it's the first thing you think of, right? When you're tired, you're, you know, run down, whatever, unhappy, whatever. You would just want to travel. I was in that space and a friend of mine said, why don't you go on a group tour? Because she was busy, <laughs> couldn't come with me. And I was, I was immediately offended. I remember thinking, I'm a really independent person. I've solo traveled, lived all around the world. What do I need to go on a group tour for? And it conjured up all these images of, you know, retirees with matching caps. But sure. it intrigued me and I started looking into the industry and saw this big gaping hole for a disruptive brand appealing to people like me, solo travelers in their 30s and 40s who wanted adventure but with a boutique hotel, they wanted to, to do it in more style and comfort. And all the, when I started looking at it, all the trends were going in the right direction, right? Solo travel was kind of on the cusp of blowing up. Um, single households were increasing. People were setting, settling down a lot kind of later in life. People wanted more experiential travel. And I felt like it was, it was like that light bulb moment. I felt like I could do something really special in that space. Um, in tandem, I thought, Maybe I should sort out my love life as well. <laughs> Went on Match.com. <laughs> Got matched to Lee, um, probably because of our love for business and travel. And just, I don't know, the night was going so well and I just had a feeling about it. And I thought, should I tell this guy my 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 idea or is he going to run off with it and do it himself? Um, anyway, I did, yeah, like Lee said, after a few glasses of wine, I did tell him and it, it just immediately resonated with him because you were in your 30s, weren't you, Lee? And you were also, well, single, clearly, because we were on a date, but you were struggling to find people to travel with. Absolutely. I understood it straight away. It was like a kind of light bulb moment. And we just, you know, from that date onwards, we just went on a, on a year mission to research the market. Um, this is all our like dating. We just, you know, started talking about setting up a business together. Um, it's sad, but, you know, we love business. We still obviously love business and, and it was exciting. And, and we really felt like we could disrupt the travel space. I know, I think it's the opposite, sad. I think it's like, you know, it's like dating with a huge purpose. You get to get to plan your careers as well as your, as your lives together. Um, what so what did that first version of Flashpack look like? How did you get the first trip off the ground? I mean, I remember meeting you guys when you were um, applied for the Virgin Startup loan, and it was it was as I was connecting with Virgin Startup. So this is six years ago, I think now, and and I remember sitting down chatting with you about it, and um, you even had a, a because I was running a eco tourism project in Sierra Leone. I remember you were starting to sell a tour there. I was like, this is a real adventurous business if they're trying to sell tours to Sierra Leone. But how did you get the foot? What was the first trip that you sold and how did you get the business up and running? Yeah, so we um, <laughs> we did launch with Sierra Leone. We figured that we would have to, to stand out in a crowded travel um, space, we would have to launch really cutting edge destinations. Um, and yeah, we launched Sierra Leone, like Uganda. Um, and the reality is it was excruciatingly difficult to sell places um, on any of those trips. Not that there was anything wrong with going to those destinations, they're incredible, but it we it was a struggle to get people on in fact we ended up getting one customer um, I don't mind saying this now it's not quite as embarrassing one customer in the first kind of like four months and we had to refund her um, it was very 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 difficult to sell you know two and a half thousand pound plus trips um, when you have no credibility in the market for founders this is a problem we all face how to stand out as a new brand which no one has ever heard of there's different ways to approach this, but for some, it's go big or go home. 
With Runway quickly running out, the pair had one last bold roll of the dice. It would turn out to be a genius marketing move. So we knew we needed a, a big idea. Um, and I was looking for one, we both were, we were both thinking, how can we get as many eyes on this business as possible with zero budget? Um, and one day, as if by magic, um, an idea popped up on my Facebook feed. Um, and I could see some workmen at the top of Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio, um, Brazil, and they were fixing some damage caused to the statue. And I turned around to Rada and just goes, that's it, I'm gonna convince whoever I have to convince to go to the top of that statue, um, the most famous statue in the world, um, and let them let me climb to the top and take a selfie and capitalise on two massive trends in 2014, which was the Brazil World Cup and um, the selfie. Everyone was going crazy for selfies. Um, so it, ha it happened. They, they let me go to the top when I flew out there and convinced the right people, took a selfie, um, and it went insanely viral. Lee Thompson took this selfie atop one of the new Seven Wonders of the World, the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. Lee, can I just say, best <laughs> selfie I've ever seen. Today, the world's eyes are focused on Brazil and not because of the upcoming World Cup. It's got everything to do with 31-year-old Lee Thompson's selfie on top of the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio. This is unbelievable that you're not only on top of this Christ the Redeemer, but if you take a look at the rest of the topography. We strategically planned it so that um, people would come back to the website to look at a video of how we did it. Um, so we were able to get up to 2 million hits in, uh, I think, like three days. And it went to every single um, country in the world, reaching all kinds of media um, from everywhere. So if you listen to this now and you're online, just Google uh, Flashpack uh, Christ the Redeemer selfie and you'll see, see, well, you'll see the picture of Lee leaning out. It looks pretty hair-raising. And you'll also see the amount of publicity it generated on the, the Google search results. I want to know, Lee, oh, I want to know two things. One, Lee, when you're sitting on that airplane, having committed the time and money to take the risk to try and pull off this, this ridiculous idea, how were you, did, you, did you have doubts? I guess you were committed then, but how did you deal with that? And rather, how did he convince you was this, that this was a good idea to spend his time and money on? Yeah, I mean, it was the last kind of thousand pounds, 800 pounds or thousand pounds that we had. Um, so it did. And I didn't quite understand what viral meant at that time. Lee convinced me it would go viral. And I thought, do you know what? We've got no, we've got nothing else up our sleeve. This is the last chance saloon. So just go for it. If you really think it's going to happen, I back you. And so he got on a plane and off he went. But, but honestly, like on the plane, it wasn't just, can I pull this off? It was like, if I don't pull this off, our business is just going to end. Like, this was it. You know, this was the last money we had, the last throw of the dice. There was no way it wasn't going to happen, basically. And that kind of persistence, I literally queued up at the, the person's door I needed to speak to until he let me in. He called me a crazy Englishman and then said, come back tomorrow, gave me the key and pretty much sent me up to the most iconic statue in the world by myself. Um, and to be honest, when that went viral, like, we got, all our first customers, um, we got trips off the ground. People were booking overnight without us having anything to do with it. We thought it was spam or, you know, fraud or something, but it was, <laughs> people were booking and, and we've never looked back since that got us off the ground. It's, it's probably the most unusual and most unlikely way to start a business. Um, and it's like one of those things when you talk about, I mean, Rada, most people are the same, like what, viral marketing, not just what is it, but like that doesn't work. And, and when it, you can't design viral marketing, it's it just like it's luck plus a lot of effort. 
Um, so kudos for pulling it off and, and envisioning it. I'm sure there'd be lots of other failures, but that's the one to talk about, right? Um, so, so you began, Flashback began. So the, talk us through the next few years. Like, how did, you, how did you grow this business? How did you decide which countries to go to? How did you reach your target customers? Um, how did you build your team? What happened? Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was quite a journey from then from then on in. Uh, we raised we were actually doing it as a side hustle for a couple of years. We were bootstrapping the business from our own savings and we didn't actually give up. Uh, I gave up my business and started working on Flashback full time while Lee was kind of supporting us. And then Lee gave up his job in 2016 as well. And we went in full time. We raised £250,000 investment at that point, And we just thought, right, we need to we need to just give this a proper go now. And we we made our first million in that year. Um, so we went from kind of, you know, just we were the first people on the payroll and we hired one salesperson and then we made our first million that same year and then it just grew from there we were like three to four xing our growth pretty much every year bootstrapping the business we went from three staff to 10 staff from 10 staff to kind of 20 and, 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 and then 2000... even in, sorry to jump in right up even in those early days sure. when you saw that you know, a million in the first year is, is a big revenue hit even even with a viral campaign behind you and obviously you're selling trips at what like one, two, three thousand pounds, and what did you have margin? Did you have profit at the end of that year, or or what did the business model look like in those early days? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't profitable because um, you can't really class profit until the trip has taken place. So, and you know, you need to make kind of heavy investments. Uh, we we're growing on a booking basis, but it could be kind of up to five, six months until somebody travels. So we weren't technically profitable, but we were making a really good margin. Um, but yeah, it's you know as a, as all startups, it's, you, you've got to make a big investment in the beginning in growing in growing the company, and um, yeah, it was it was we were flying high, I suppose, and we got to I think in two thousand nineteen, we scaled from something like twenty staff to about fifty five sixty staff, in in around about six or seven months. And we were having a lot of fun. <laughs> but in tandem, um, we also had, we had our kind of flashback baby, but we were also um, due to have a real baby <laughs> at, the, at the beginning of 2019. So yeah, it was, um, it was a pretty busy time for us uh, professionally and, and personally. Yeah, you, you think you're scaling as a business and then you, you look at a pregnancy and, and, the, and you know, the first few months of a human life and that's exponential scale, right? It's sort of, it's, so to do that at the same time is wild um what how did you manage it lee like so this growth period this period of growth how did you stay keep your keep your feet on the ground you must have been feeling so much excitement as well as the challenges inevitably especially on the hiring side and building a team and a culture how did you stay focused and grounded during that period um, well, the, the answer that's quickly on my mind that is, is, is it was very hard to stay very focused because you get a ton of opportunity when you're growing that big and you have to become a master at saying no to things and, and having real deep focus on a couple of um, strategic pillars. But um, I, I, certainly for the first few years, it's a bit of a whirlwind. You're growing so, so fast. Um, and scaling the team quickly that naturally you're making mistakes along the way in terms of your hiring sometimes and, um, you know, growing your marketing channels. But, uh, you know, by sort of just before the pandemic, we're really starting to sort of steady the ship and really getting the business ready for scaling. Um, and 
you know, we, we were in a very, very good position. The growth was coming very naturally um, from America too, actually. It's actually our main um, market now with over 60% of our customers. So we were flying high. And tell us a little bit about your customers and the, the adventures themselves. Like who was signing up? What was the thing that they're really, they were really loving about it and therefore were talking about it to loads of other people? And what were the kind of trips that were, were selling really well? Yeah, so at that point, we had scaled our adventure product portfolio from the initial five trips to 74 different products. But the reason we were growing so fast is because we understood that it was group travel is about the people you travel with first and about the travel, the adventure travel second. And our demographic, our customers wanted to use the opportunity with traveling on a flashback trip to make long, lifelong friends. And that's what we were optimizing for. It was our value proposition. And it, in fact, it's our, it's, our, it's our mission in general, you know, to create one million friendships through adventure travel. And it's, we really don't see ourselves as a travel company. We see ourselves as a platform that connects people. And we use adventure travel to fuel that friendship, right? Um, because as we know, when you go traveling, you make fast friends and friends for life because you're sharing incredible moments and memories, creating memories together. So that's that's the thing that was fueling our growth, and we understood that better than any other competitor. It's it's brilliant, and um, I love that a million million friendships. It's like the anti metaverse vision. Uh, it's like we're going to go out in the world and make friendships. Like that's a radical idea, but in in today's world, it is. Um, but how do you measure that? Like uh, talking of data, I want to talk about all sorts of impact. But the impact of friendship. How do you measure whether people stay friends as a result of their journeys together? Yeah, so we um, we ask our customers on a regular basis, um, quarterly normally, um, ask them how many of them have remained friends. So when we last did that um, pre-pandemic, about 80% of them are still friends. And we're about 60% keeping in touch regularly, so like on a weekly basis. Um, to be honest, there's there's kind of, um, there's babies now, there's, there's flashback babies, there's plenty of weddings, there's, um, it, there's a lot of evidence that <laughs> there's so many friendships have been made throughout the course of our journey. Um, and of course, one of the things we measure each group's success on is group dynamic. We want to make sure that they actually got on with the people they travel with. Um, and it's really up to us to make sure that um, um, that we foster those friendships um, on the trips that we run. So, for example, um, on day two of every single trip we have we'll, we'll kind of throw you outside of your comfort zone we'll do some activity that makes a group of strangers become friends so everything we do is manufactured to make a group of people um, who don't know each other become mates uh, and then we measure that by asking our customers yeah and i think people are always talking about how sleep can positively impact your well-being, your mental health. But actually creating friendship is just as important, like having a meaningful discussion with somebody, knowing you've got somebody to pick up the phone to if you're feeling, if you're in a dark place. That's just as important to your mental well-being. And I think it was largely ignored pre-COVID. It was something that you just come back to later, right? Oh, I'll, I'll make time for my friends later. And that time never comes around because we prioritise work or other things. Ah, the dreaded C word. For a travel startup, nothing could be more devastating. In March 2020, business is booming. Friendships are being formed, weddings are happening, and flashback babies are even being born. And I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty serious indicator of success, let alone the company's valuation of 50 million plus. So what's it like on the inside as a flight-halting virus grounds everything to a deafening stop? 
Well, you know, it, this is, um, it has been one hell of an 18 months um, and not for a good reason, um, but we are very much um, stronger entrepreneurs now and definitely battle tested, as Rodder always says. Um, but Friday the 13th of March will forever be the worst day of my life. Um, and I think Rodder will closely join me on that. But it was the day that so, you know, you could see COVID creeping and starting to cause problems, but a lot of people were still writing it off saying it's not a big deal, you know, it's going to be okay. Um, but Donald Trump, President Trump, um, on Friday the 13th, I think, um, basically started closing the US borders. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. And every single country pretty much in the world followed suit. The EU is now proposing a 30-day restriction on non-essential travel into the block. Australians overseas are this morning scrambling to come home as authorities prepare to shut the country's borders in just over 12 hours time. Now, for us, you know, we always played it safe by having as many different countries around the world to mitigate any kind of macro problems. But with COVID, and we never ever predicted that we would have to close down every single country that we sell full stop. So that's what we had to do on Friday the 13th of March. But it wasn't just that, like we, our whole business model is built up on getting together a group of 14 strangers who don't know each other. So it's just about the worst thing that you could be in within the travel industry. So we were hit double, double hard. So what that meant for us on Friday the 13th of March, I'll just keep saying that because it's <laughs> number 13. Um, we had to um, repatriate hundreds of customers. We were doing really well at that point. Like we had a TV commercial out in January. We had a lot of momentum, loads of customers all over the place and we had to bring them all home. Some of them didn't want to come home, um, but they felt very safe, but we had to get them home as quickly as possible. So we did that successfully within a couple of weeks. Um, and then what followed naturally was a lot of customers um, asking for refunds. That was like the next big thing. Everybody wanted a refund um, because it's quite high value um, price of our trips. Um, there was a lot of, you know, you're looking at the out, you're looking at COVID and you just, you can't see an end to it. So naturally everybody just wanted a refund. And for, for eight months, we kind of battled through this, probably lost, uh, I think probably around 20 million in revenue over that time. Yeah, I think it's important to mention that revenue dropped overnight like mm. that. Off a cliff. Um, off a cliff, 95% of revenue just vanished. Um, and we had quite high overheads at that point. Yeah. So what was your runway at that moment in terms of the company and the team, but even before refunds come into the question? Yeah, it was, it was particularly brutal for us because we were just in the middle of doing a Series A and we were being solicited by VCs like in England, all over Europe, in Silicon Valley. We had offers on the table from some of the best VCs in the world, really high valuations, and we were just about to go into DD and then COVID hit. So it was really, really brutal. Um, we, didn't, we didn't panic, actually. We didn't start making everybody redundant straight away. We, I don't know, there was just something, a gut instinct, I suppose. I said, let's just wait and not panic. And then luckily, a couple of weeks later, the furlough scheme came out. So we managed to put most of our team, except a kind of lights-on team, there was 15 of us that remained in the business. And how many, how many were in the team at that point? Uh, 55 FTEs and, and, and uh, a handful of uh, freelancers, so about 60 of us, I suppose. Um, we reduced the team to 15. We called them the lights-on team, and we were battling through repatriating customers, dealing with refunds, 
you know, customers up the, stranded at the airport, customers stranded in a rainforest. Um, and Lee and I continued to focus on fundraising because although interest dried up, we didn't get any no's. And there were still a couple of VCs who were who saw a great deal, right? Suddenly we would have to climb down overnight from a 50 million valuation down to whatever. Um, so we carried on those conversations. And in tandem, we decided to run a strategic sale process in tandem with the VC raise and just kind of see where we ended up, right? Because at this point, I think we we realised that this wasn't a short-term thing. This was huge and nobody had seen anything like it. And we had no funders to turn to and we had we had no reserves. So we we had enough runway. We had quite a bit of runway, um, in fact, um, especially with a, with a reduced team. So we carried on fundraising. We, in fact, we had about 62 conversations over a period of six, about six months it was very very intense with a toddler at home <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't even know how we did it and it got to September and the last conversations were coming to an end I mean VCs were just not putting money into travel even if they saw a great deal no money was going into travel all our possible strategic buyers were all on fire themselves managing their own losses so nobody had any money to spare and it got to September and Lee and I had the dreaded conversation that we needed to face reality, that it wasn't, you know, this wasn't going to end the way we wanted it to. We were not going to get the money. And at that point, we started to look into putting the business into administration. Although I think it's important to say that we could have carried on if we'd if we'd made the whole team redundant and Lee and I just stayed on the payroll. We could have we could have just carried on Um promising customers refund credit notes but we decided that that wasn't the best thing for our stakeholders it wasn't the best thing for our customers so we put the business into administration and just explain that a little bit more if you can about about why why administration why was that better for your stakeholders and your customers and 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 the company because we could have carried on promising our customers refund credit notes for another year or two i mean at this point i think by september we realized that this could go on for another year maybe even two years we would have had to keep on promising using our customers goodwill to to keep the business afloat with the hope that once covid was gone and travel had resumed we could then unwind all those refund credit notes and put our customers onto trips but it could have taken another few years to do that right we didn't have the cash to give to give all our customers their money back um, and pay all our overheads and everything but I think uh, we decided that it was important to put the business into administration so that um, the money that was left in the bank could be distributed to our um, stakeholders, including customers. And then customers could also go and claim a refund from um, we had financial failure insurance, for example, they could claim they could claim their refund. So that so that that process that protected as many customers as possible. Lee, at this moment of going to administration, because it feels like such a negative decision, I, I appreciate as you've just explained rather why you did it it makes sense but how did you cope mentally you've got your toddler at home you know everything's got off the cliff as you say and of course you're not on your own a lot of businesses are in the same position but how did you cope with that period and like I, I read about how you essentially got on the phone to almost every customer who required a refund which was hundreds and and sort of reconnected with them beyond the kind of the, the numbers to try and help explain the reality tell us about that yeah, it's quite difficult to summarise, but it was almost 
as difficult. It, it really reminded me of trying to get this business off the ground <laughs> back in 2013 without any money, and it was like excruciatingly difficult. And then it was tough mentally that time. And then losing our business, going from these unbelievable valuations to like zero overnight, and then going into administration was really, really, really tough. I, I actually think we're really lucky that we, uh, not only do I have a co-founder, but I also have my wife in, in a funny kind of way, I actually helped having that support for both of us. We would take a lot of walks around the park and, and visualize a future that didn't look as grim. Uh, and that helped a lot, but it was pretty tough, to be honest. You know, you're trying to be good parents um, and you're trying to, the, the work didn't stop. You know, the day we went into administration, it felt like the natural thing to do to help our customers claim refunds so yeah you're right like we we went above and beyond like we would call hundreds of customers personally um six o'clock in the morning before my daughter our daughter woke up i'd be on the emails helping people um and the last thing i did at 10 o'clock before i went to bed at night i'd do the same and i did that for an entire year literally up until like a few months ago i was doing it um it did two things it helped restore trust in our customers it helped them um, get a refund. Obviously, that's the most important thing. Um, but actually, 93% of those customers that were involved in the refund process voted in a survey for us to come back, um, which ultimately led to, um, to RADA um, securing a successful fundraise, um, which I'll let her talk about. I feel like I need the um, like a, a radio DJ. I need like a massive cheer button at this moment, <laughs> just because that, that that resilience that you you both showed and whoever your you know lights on team was at the time to do that. I mean, every day for a year, just getting on the phone with people who are potentially going to be angry with you or not angry with you, but angry about the situation. And you're obviously, uh, you know, part of that reason. Um, and, and their money is tied up. So um, kudos for doing that, because I think so many others would have. Would have and not that there's many options right on the table, but would have not been able to do that. So, um, so bring us up to date where we are today. You know, it's uh, you've you've got through that process. Uh, Flashback, as I how did you say it? On the, I was I love the way you reannounced it. We're uh, we're back together. Flashback is back together. So tell us where like how you've relaunched the business and what's the what's the plan now? Yeah. So while Lee was on the phone, help handholding customers through a complex refund process, I was locked in our basement trying to find funding. We, um, you know, we we had very little personal money left. We we're on the edge of, <laughs> on the very edge, um, of our kind of you know to how to how far our finances would stretch. And um, I decided I need to go out there and find a funder. And after months of speaking to many different funders again, uh, we found an, we found a great investor who backed our vision for community travel. And we raised a multi-million pound investment um, from one of the biggest private firms in the world. And now we've, we've rectified that issue, right? Like just take the money when you can get it. Make sure you've got funders with deep pockets who can, you can turn to in a crisis. So that's the first thing we rectified. And, and on that, on that, because it, it, you're right, it's obviously it's, it's the fuel, right? Um, how did you convince an investor coming out of a pandemic that, that community travel and flashback was, you know, going to succeed? Yeah, I, I think everybody could see it. Like being collectively being isolated in our homes that like everyone could see that all the trends that we were capitalizing on pre-covid were going to be huge post-covid people want and need connection and they realize it now that it's as important as sleep and nutrition and all those things we talked about earlier um so it was quite it wasn't that hard 
to, to convince a funder. And they saw the work, the amazing work that Lee had done in hand-holding our customers through this process. And they could see the reaction from our community when we sent out the survey to say, would you like us to come back and would you rebook with us? 93% saying they would. And these are customers who were affected by our administration. Um, it was We had the evidence and data there that our community was right behind us. It's it's also really nice that we've relaunched. We've managed to hire, rehire our staff from Flashpack 1.0. So we're getting the band back together. And 98% of our suppliers are with us as well. So that's, it feels incredible. And we're really humbled that we're able to relaunch with their support. Um, not only that, like it, we only launched a few weeks ago and hundreds of them have already booked. Like it literally feels like a January, which has always been like the busiest month for us. It's like there's real momentum already. It's like they were just waiting for us to switch the lights back on. Uh, it must feel so good. And and so like what happens now? You just you because because presumably because of the pain that you've just been through, and you know that the pandemic is not necessarily over. There's there's more instability coming in this world and and in this sector. So how are you how are you preparing or can you prepare for? another wave of, of whatever it might be that, effect, that would affect the industry? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things there. Um, basically, first of all, our, most of our customer base are from the US, and the US have very different travel restrictions to the UK. So um, we're focusing a lot of efforts on the US market right now. Um, we are also being very cautionary with our trips, so we're not running any trips until um, kind of uh, February, March next year. So. What we're seeing so far is like customers are being quite cautious. They are booking from kind of March onwards. And actually what surprised me is they're kind of going for even like October, November, December into 2022. So we, we feel like we're in a good position to ride out any kind of uncertainty over the next few months. That's great. OK, so I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Firstly, what are you most excited about um, looking forward? <laughs> <It's just> a... <laughs> it needs a lot of thought, that one. Yeah. It sounds, it's almost like, ah. Oh. Just some peace, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, there's a lot of things to be excited for. Right now, I'm just excited every morning to wake up to bookings rather than waking up to emails about refund credit notes. That feels great. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think like getting our business back, like, because we could have lost it, feels like an absolute gift. And, and, and personally speaking, I think when, when your business is flying like ours was pre-pandemic, you get into this whirlwind sometimes and you can't sit back and enjoy the moments. And I'm like just loving the journey already. Like I'm loving like being a leader in this business because we love it and it's because it's great fun as well. So I'm just going to enjoy it a lot more. I love that. So there are lots of people listening who are at the beginning of the journey um and haven't been nearly through a roller coaster like you have and, and may have been listening to some of this and thinking my god why would i ever consider not just starting a travel business but starting a business in general because there's so many more it feels like there's so many variables out there in the world now that that maybe didn't even exist five years ago or ten years ago but if if they were to ask you what you know rather than lee should i start my business and whatever it is what why what would you say to them and, and how should i go about it is there something that you would do differently or really focus on now that you might not have done five ten years ago i would say do it but only if you love your product and you love your customers because if you don't love those two things you'll never get through 
the brutal journey that is being an entrepreneur. There are, doesn't matter how successful you are, it's it's a roller coaster for everyone. And every successful business has almost lost the business at least two or three times, right? Um, and because to be really successful, you have to take risks. Um, so that, that would be my advice. You've got to love your customers and love your product. And if you don't, reconsider doing it. Um, I'm going to say two things. You need to focus like really hard on like what your like what your offering is. So for us, we knew it was like for 30 to 49 year olds. Like we just focused on that segment, um, and that was the reason why we grew so rapidly. We never never veered away from that. And secondly, before you go out there and raise loads of money, or even if you do raise loads of money, think outside the box. Like you've got to really think about about you know that viral type of um, uh, marketing or that kind of. Basically, you can't go throw a load of, throw a load of money at unsustainable um, paid marketing channels. You've got to think outside the box. I would maybe what I would add to that is look, invariably, investors want to fund your business when you don't really need the money. So take the money when you don't need it. That's the biggest mistake we made. We bootstrapped for too long. If we had started fundraising a few months or six months earlier, we would have been in a totally different position when COVID hit. So timing was really bad for us. Um, so take the money, but behave like you don't have it. You know, don't spend, don't spend on crazy, unsustainable, unproven marketing channels, as Lee says. Protect the cash. And I have got one more question, which I have to ask. If you were going to go on a flash pack trip next year, and maybe it's not as easy for you now because you're busy running the business and parents, um, but which one would you choose? Which flash pack trip would you go on? Oh, so many. Um, I think I would go on Tanzania because it's incredible. We stay in these, um, it's a mobile camp. And so that you basically camp up wherever the wildebeest migration is happening or the wildebeest birthing season. And you've basically got a box seat to the best show on earth effectively. And your tents are on these kind of like rovers, aren't they? On these Range Rovers. So you're not, you know, you won't be eaten by lions, basically (laughs) protected. (laughs) Um, I would probably go to Finland. In fact, we are thinking about going there because we ha- we've got this trip in the Arctic Circle where you um, we found this island and it's like this sort of privately owned hotel on an island. Um, so you won't see anybody. It will just be silence. We won't wake up to sirens like we do every morning in South London. Um, I could do with that calm right now um, and some northern lights thrown in. Yeah, and this amazing um, indigenous population up there, the, the Rovaniemi, which... Uh, which I didn't know much about, but they're kind of reindeer herders and nomadic communities of that of the Arctic Circle. They're just a whole region of the world that I didn't appreciate until I visited that area. So I can imagine that's an awesome trip. And obviously the, uh, the cradle of humanity in Tanzania is, uh, is the, it's the most beautiful wilderness that I've, uh, that I've been to. Oh, my wanderlust is high again. Um, Rada and Lee, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak with us at Virgin Startup. And we're excited to see um, you create millions of friendships over the coming years through your adventures. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. This podcast was produced by Goldfish Studios for Virgin Startup. Visit virginstartup.org for more. I've been Ben Keen. Thanks for listening.